Have you ever struggled with understanding the Word of God? You're not alone. Let's look at the scriptures together and understand how we can apply biblical principles in our daily lives, right here on the Creekside Podcast. Hey, welcome back to the Creekside Podcast. My name is James. I'll be your host for the day, and this is our co-host, Pastor Drew Byers. So how are we doing today? Man, I'm doing good. Great. Doing good. I'm awake and uh, a couple cups of coffee in this morning. Yeah. And uh, I got an open Bible, so that's a recipe for a good time. It sounds like the start of a great day. So, And, you know, not to mention you get to spend it with me. That's just icing on the cake. Icing on the cake. Yeah, well, yeah. Anyways, (laughs) (laughs) today we're going to be looking in the book of Luke, uh, chapter 13. Yep. And uh, again, there's a lot packed into this, and so I don't think we'll get to every single verse today. Um, I want to look at... um, I really want to look at, there's a couple of parables in here, and uh, I really want to look at those today because I think sometimes as Christians, we, the Luke, Luke especially is full of these parables, and maybe we don't always know exactly what to do with them. So I just want to look at a couple of them and just try to maybe make some sense of how, how do we read the parables, what should we understand, um, understand about them, and uh, kind of go from there. Yeah, cool. Well, let's get started. Yeah. So Luke 13, starting at verse number one, there were some present at that very time who told him about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And he answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that They were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem. No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. And he said to the vine dresser, Look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down, why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, Sir, let it alone this year also, until I dig around it and put on manure. Then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. I want to stop right there. I'll look at verses 18 through 21 after talking about this. Okay. Um, but I think it, I think it's important to know that this, these two things really don't seem like they go together. So if, you, if you've got a Bible with headings like mine does, you see this heading uh, at the beginning of uh, chapter 13, it says repent or perish, something right. like that. And then you got this heading that says the parable of the barren fig tree. So we look at that and we think, okay, how, how do these two things relate? to? It's like Jesus lost his train of thought or something. Or like, you know, hey, I read this great joke in the newspaper, this great <laughs> anecdote in the newspaper. Let me give it to you. So in, in uh, verse 1 of chapter 13 of Luke, these... Um, these people come and uh, they were upset with with what had happened about these people who had been essentially persecuted by Pilate. Uh, Pilate had uh, mingled the blood of these people with these pagan sacrifices. Okay, so this is you know this is by no means a good thing, uh, something that would have been despicable and like dis- like despised uh, by the people culturally. Blood, you know, is certainly unclean, and anyway, I think that's. In every culture, that's the case. Uh, but these these particular individuals had 
perhaps they had died, perhaps they had been killed, perhaps they had been executed, and Pilate had taken their the blood and mingled it with these sacrifices. Um, and I think that's to be understood not to be like a Jewish sacrifice, but a sacrifice to like a false god or something like that. Okay. So, uh, understanding that, Jesus answered them, do you think these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered in this way? Jesus asked a question. Were these guys the worst? You know, we say that he's the worst. You know, <laughs> we say that all the time. That, that guy's the worst. Jesus is saying, are, are these Galileans, are they the worst people? You know, are, are, did they... Did they deserve this? Uh, right. You know, are they are they worse than all the other Galileans because they suffered like this? Jesus says in verse number three, very plainly, no, Mm-mm. they're they're not. It's not because they were the worst people in the world that they suffered this way. So it's strange because here's the Lord of Life, the King of Kings, and he doesn't really seem to be like comforting. These people who were coming to him, uh, these people are clearly distraught. Um, they were they were seem to be upset about this this circumstance, and they're saying like, "Why Jesus did this happen? Like, can you explain this to us?" You, I mean, Jesus, you're walking around talking about how you are the King of Kings, how you are the Messiah, you're the Anointed One. Can you explain Pilate to us? You know this this plight that we're in, and Jesus gives them an answer, but it doesn't seem to be the one that they want to hear. What does Jesus say? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. What Jesus is doing is saying, "Hey, you look at this, and let's call it an injustice. Right, let's call it um, a, a crime of you know a crime of a government. Even you know, let's let's call it this despicable, whatever you want to call it. Look at this." Look at this situation and then say, do you understand how bad this situation is? You know, it's not good. Jesus doesn't say, hey, this is a good thing that happened, right? Um, he says, this is a bad, you know, this is a bad thing, but it's not because that these Galileans were the worst people in the world. It seems to be like Jesus is saying, hey, this is a sign to you, right? He doesn't ever even mention the Galileans or, you know, any, any retribution that should come from uh, those Galileans. He says, no, I tell you, unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Okay, so Jesus is bringing about the, the reality of repentance that's necessary in, uh, in following after him. Uh, it's not that we just continue, continue in our walk the same way and ask God to bless our current walk in life. It's no, we walk in a new way of life, a new way of living, a way of repentance and of faith. And so Jesus gives this as kind of like a warning to uh, to these people about these about these Galileans. You're distraught by these Galileans. You're distraught by this. You should be. You should repent. This should actually lead you to repent and not to live in the same kind of way, or you also will perish. And I don't think this is a threat that Jesus is promising. Like, hey, you know, you better shape up, or I'm going to strike you down too. Mm-hmm. It's more. It's a warning and saying. Your time is short. You don't know when your when your day will come. Uh, you don't know uh, when you'll stand before the Lord. So repent. Mm-hmm. He he doubles this up in verse number four. Or those eighteen on whom the tower in Siloam fell and killed them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others who lived in Jerusalem? Same kind of question, right? No, right. Jesus says in verse five. No, I tell you, 
But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. And so we ask the question all the time, why do bad things happen to good people? Right? It, it seems to be that's kind of the question that's being asked here. Mm-hmm. Jesus, these are Galileans, good good people, you know, upstanding people in the community. Pilate mixed their blood with sacrifices. Uh, these people in Siloam, this tower that fell, it just seemed to be, you know, kind of random and haphazard. Um, what about them, you know? Why, why did why did they die? Why did bad things happen to good people? A couple of anecdotes I've heard from a couple of different uh, Bible teachers. One, which I really like, uh, comes from R.C. Sproul, and uh, he says somewhere in his writings, I can't remember where it is off the top of my head, but he says uh, it's not that um, bad things happen to good people, right? That's only happened one time where a bad thing happened to a good person, and he volunteered for it. Wow. Okay, so obviously talking about the Lord Jesus, you know, we're not inherently good, you know, um, people are born into sin and they choose to sin every day. We're both sinners by nature and by choice. And we've got to, when we look at humanity and reality, we've got to let that be a lens that we look through. Um, you know, that not that we see doom and gloom everywhere. Uh, but when we talk about the idea of, uh, some theologians have called it total depravity, right? And what that means what that means is not that you are as bad as you could possibly be, mm-hmm. but that every part of your being is touched or tainted by sin. Okay, so the well is poisoned. You know, no matter how much or how little water you get up out of that well, it's all been poisoned. Uh, so you, you, it needs to be purified. It needs to be cleaned. It needs to be cleansed. So it is with our bodies. Now, that's not to say that we don't make right decisions or do the right things from time to time. Broken clocks are right twice a day, right? We're all like broken clocks. Right. So we, we need to be restored and to be redeemed because of the fall, because of sin. Jesus is, is saying that here. There aren't any good people in this situation. There are only those who need to be redeemed. And that's the, that's the case of all human beings ever save the Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so we got that laid out there. Um, we understand that all people are going to die because all people are sinners. What about these terrible tragedies? You know, Jesus seems to be really insensitive uh, about about this. You know, here's these 18 people who have died. And uh, Jesus says, do you think they're worse than everybody else? Obviously, the answer is no. He said, exactly. So you should repent. <laughs> the The other anecdote that I think helps with this is these these people come and they say, hey, you know, this tower that fell, this is a tragedy. God, where were you? You know, God, where were you when this tra- when this tower fell? Yeah. But you don't see people praising God every morning when they wake up and the tower's still standing. Right. How many days did God allow the forces of nature to not let that tower fall down? I mean, how many days does, did God allow the force, you know, sustain that tower uh, being built up, you know, sustain the natural forces of, of nature to allow it to remain standing. How many days, you know, mm-hmm. probably hundreds, maybe thousands of days, you know, but then there's one day where it falls and everyone says, God, where are you? Now I understand that. I mean, there's a loss of human life here. Like we don't, we don't want to pretend like we're happy about that. No. Um, but here's just the inevitable fact is that we're all going to die. You know, mm-hmm. If you're looking for encouragement today, you know, let that let that be it. But that frame of that frame of mind, you know, if we if we just live like, hey, we're eternal and we're immortal, what we're doing is saying that we are like God. And if we're doing if we're doing that, if we think we're God, we'll never live to God's glory. And uh, and John Piper makes a really great quote in his book on providence. He talks about um, when a plane goes down. You know what a tragedy is when a plane goes down when there's a loss of life. But in the same way. 
how many thousands and thousands of planes take off, fly through the air at hundreds of miles an hour every day, and land safely, and right. everyone inside never even takes their earphones out of their ears. Right. You know, like, God sustains the forces of nature and allows those kinds of things to transpire thousands of times every single day. But he gets no praise for that. People just pretend like that's the way it should be. But when a plane goes down, everyone says, God, why could you let that happen? Okay, right. so I think that framework is helpful for us considering um, this particular passage. What should we do when we come to a tragedy like that? What should we do when we hear about this loss of life? Um, you know, I pray that when you know when we see these kinds of, of tragedies, um, that those people knew the Lord you know, uh, I pray that's the case, and I probably I always pray like when, uh, like even this week, there's been a um, there's a last week there was a collapse at the time we're recording this. There was a collapse of a building in South Florida, yeah. um, and it, I've just been reading up on you know the search and rescue, and there's over a hundred people still missing, and that just breaks my heart. I mean, right. just to hear that, and these these folks went to sleep on Wednesday of last week thinking they'd wake up Thursday morning. And the building collapsed in the, middle, in the middle of the night. I mean, it's a tragedy. You know, similar to you know, similar to this in Luke chapter thirteen, the same kind of thing. Yeah. What should we think about this? Well, I pray those people were were saved. I pray if there's negligence, like on the building manager or whoever, that they were just trying to save money. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that's a hundred lives potentially that might, that might be lost in this. I read this was the greatest like mass casualty of this type since 9-11, you know, like, yeah, it's, just, it's and it, it seems to be a natural process, you know, right. It's from right now, it doesn't seem like there's, there's negligence, a, a tower fell, and we're not really sure why it, it wasn't condemned, or didn't seem to be dangerous, but we think about that, what should our, what should our thought process be, well, Jesus tells us here, are you, have you repented, are, are you repentant, because, because if these people in this tower have, have, perished and they have died but they belong to the lord jesus they're in a better place right you know they're they're not no they're not in a worse off state they're actually in a better state and god you know sped along their arrival you know right. sped up their arrival time um to that better place if they're in christ right you're you and i are going to die unless you repent you will perish that's what jesus gives us the the analogy for yeah and what I think is important here, and this is where the parable comes into play, what I think is important here is Jesus, by by telling these crowds that, he's saying, you still have time. You have time today to repent, to trust, to, to turn from your old way of life, and to walk in the newness of life. And so in verse number 6, he tells this parable. Here's what I think is helpful to do with the parables. Um, uh, parable is a, uh, is a, it's a transliteration from a Greek word, uh, uh, it's parabole, um, which um, which means to throw alongside. Okay, mm-hmm. so essentially, when you when you read the parable, you should throw it alongside of whatever the teaching has been. Okay, so it's a it's an it's kind of like a sermon illustration in some ways. Jesus is going to illustrate the point he's just been making with a story, and these parables don't appear to be of any. Uh, historical value. They're not. They don't. They don't seem to be true stories. They seem to be illustrations or sayings, right. uh, like any rabbi would give about you know about something to to, to kind of uh, take to heart. People might think of parables like Aesop's fables, and I think that's a little bit uh, uh, immature, unsophisticated way to think about it. Uh, but I do think there's something to the to the reality of these. These appear to be non-historical stories, but they go along with 
the teaching that Jesus is giving. So good Bible reading is Bible reading done in context. And so you don't just want to, uh, you know, pick your favorite verse out of the context, but read the parables in their context. And I don't think you can understand the parables without understanding them in their context. Right. I mean, you know, this uh, last Sunday I was telling a story about how I, uh, in, in one of my sermons about how I lived across the street from my grandma. If you were just to take that story and just to tell it to someone over lunch, people would be like, okay, that's a super weird story, right? But but in trying to illustrate the point that I was making, yeah. you know, it, it made it made a, a difference there. And so in a similar way, if we isolate the parables or we give them meanings that Jesus doesn't give to them, they might become confusing. So I want to make sense of this parable about the fig tree here. Verse number six, he tells a parable, a man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came to look for fruit on it, and he found none. And he said to the vine dresser, look, for three years now I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree, and I find none. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? And he answered him, sir, let it alone this year also until I dig around it and put on manure then if it should bear fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. Okay, we read that and we think, what on earth does that have to do with the tower in Siloam? What on earth does that have to do with Pilate mixing the blood of the Galileans uh, with these sacrifices? Let's just break it down. The, the trees often refer to people. Um, when you t- when we're talking in Luke chapter 3 uh, a couple weeks ago, John the Baptist tells um, tells the crowds, "You bear fruit in keeping with repentance." Okay, mm-hmm. men and women don't bear fruit, right? Trees bear fruit, and so there's an often an allusion in the New Testament talking about people like trees. Okay, so this man had a fig tree. It's representing you know a, a person uh, planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit. He didn't find any. Okay, we've already seen in Luke that John has said you know bearing fruit has to do with repentance. What has Jesus just said and in the first part of chapter 13. He's looking for repentance in Mm -hmm. these people. So this man comes and he finds this tree and there's no fruit. What that means is there's a man who has not repented. There's an unrepentant man who we see here. Um, It's illustrated by a tree. And then he said to the vine dresser, look for three years now I've come seeking fruit on this fig tree. I don't find any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the ground? What does the vine dresser say? Let it alone this year also. Let me dig it up and put around manure. If it bears fruit next year, that's good. If not, cut it down. What's happening here? The tree gets a little more time. It gets a little bit more time to see if it will produce fruit. How much time has it been given? Well, at least three years at this point. We know for three years this tree has supposed to have been producing fruit and has not been producing fruit. So Jesus says if you don't produce fruit, there's nothing good for you. You're not good for anything except to be cut up and thrown into the fire. But if you do produce fruit, you're you're good for you're good for much. And we understand in this parable, fruit has to do with repentance. So let's break this down. This parable, throw it alongside of what we see in verses one through five. Throw it alongside there. We see that Jesus is saying, You are like you unrepentant people are like this fig tree that's not bearing fruit. And you've been given chance after chance after chance to repent, and you haven't repented. Now Will you repent, knowing that your end is soon? Right. Your end is coming, just like these people who this tower fell and crushed them. Your the last day of your life is coming, right. and you don't know when it might be. Will you repent? Will you turn? There is still time today, but there's not time forever. And then in verse nine, he says, "If it should bear fruit next year, that's good. But if not, you should cut it down." Right. 
I think that helps make sense of of the teaching there. Um, there. There's time for today. There's not time for forever. So you, listener, wherever you're listening today, do you do you know the Lord Jesus? Uh, have you trusted Him? Uh, time is time is very short. Uh, th- this life is very short in comparison with eternity, and we tend to think that you know we have all the time in the world. Especially, you know, James and I are younger guys, and we we tend to think about our ambitions for our lives and for you know our families and our careers and all that kind of stuff. But the reality is, time is short, and if we're not serving the Lord with the time that we have, what hope do we have uh, in the life to come? You know, if we're not repentant of our sin, if we're not aware of our sin and trusting in Jesus, if we're not following Jesus then we're wasting our lives. Uh, and we might very well have the same fate of those uh, in the in the tower in Siloam or those who, you know, Pilate killed and had their blood mixed with sacrifices. We might very well have that same kind of fate. Right. But we'll be in the Father's hands if we are, you know, if we have trusted in Christ. There's no safer place that we can be. Um, no. I had the opportunity, I had the privilege really this past week. There was a, a lady in our in our church who was dying and she was um she was in her last days and uh, I just got to I got to go and pray with her and just hold her hand and look her in the face as she told me, I'm about to go meet Jesus. Man, how you know? awesome. And and it's sad. Yeah. It's it's heartbreaking. You know, we cried, we laughed we you know all these things that she's in pain and her body's just wasting away um and i was able to look at the family and the family was able to look at me and i'm you know just say she's in good hands yeah and they said absolutely she's in the best hands you know do we have that kind of resolute hope in in our lives if we don't today is the day it's not a it's not a day to wait it's not a it's not, it's not once we figure out everything that we believe and trust right so i think maybe maybe the uh the people coming to jesus are asking jesus if you can explain to me why these galileans perished in this way then maybe i would believe in you and jesus doesn't really give them the answer they're looking for he said look at this example and and you know, do you do you think you have to have all of the wisdom and knowledge of God before you believe in Him? Mm. You know, do you think you have to have attain a certain level of uh, omnipotence or omniscience before you'll believe in the Lord? No, trust in the Lord. Right. Um, trust in the Lord. Trust that He has a uh, He has good plans for your life and for His world. And trust and repent, and you'll be in the Father's care. You know, bearing this, this fruit that keeps in repentance. That's the best thing um, that we can do. Does that raise any questions? Well, it reminds me of the story of the blind man that was sitting outside, I believe it was outside the temple there, mm-hmm. and everyone was asking, was it his sins that made him blind, or was it his parents' sin? And I feel like that's kind of the same context here, where they're sa- they're just trying to figure out, what's the blame? Why did they deserve right. this? And Jesus, at the time, you know, there with the blind man, he said, no, it wasn't anyone's sin. It was so that he could fulfill this story yeah and be an example right and so when we look at this the same way it's uh these people died and that purpose could have just been solely for the fact that we needed to know our our sin our shame mm-hmm. is no less or than anyone else right and so the the gift of grace that gift of mercy that's new every single day is for absolutely everyone. Mm. And that is so I think it's really hard to comprehend that. You know, the yeah. guy the guy that has been in prison for forty years because of a heinous crime deserves the same grace that I mm. I have. Yeah. 
you know, and that's hard for us as humans to sure. comprehend and to, to, to yeah. feel like, I, I feel like, oh, I deserve, you know, I've been good. Right. I've paid my taxes, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and so that's what he's saying here, you know, is that, yeah, you, that's, I, the, I think that, I think that, I think you're on the right, the right track. And I think that just want to tweak one word you said there is the word deserve, right? None of us deserve grace, right? Right. Um, and, and I think what your your sentiment there is that the the man who is the you know who has been in jail and and me we're both sinners and it seems like his sin is so much greater than mine is but right. he's not beyond the redemption of the Lord Jesus right. just like I'm not exactly. and so it's really easy for us to evaluate ourselves based on other people's sins. Okay, so like I compare myself to like I know. Like intrinsically, I am a better person than my older brother, right? You just, you know, that's just the way that it is. And I tell him that, um, you know, I'm faster than him, I'm stronger than him, I'm better looking, all that stuff. So I know, like, hey, I compare myself to my older brother and say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm better than he is. And then he might compare himself to, you know, someone he knows in his life. Oh, I'm better than he is. And you compare yourself to these other people. Well, if you compare me to Hitler, you know, I look really good. Yeah. But the Lord does not compare us to the, the, the worst sinner we can imagine. He right. compares us to his standard, and we all fall miserably short. You yeah. know, None of us even come close to meeting the standard that the Lord has set for us. We all, none of us deserve his grace, Very true. Uh, but we can receive his grace if, yeah. we come, if we come with repentance and with faith to the Lord. And that's the, that's the beauty and the gift of the gospel that Christ died for my sins uh, it says, for the sins of the world that he died um, to, to redeem a people for himself, people who didn't deserve it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Uh, you know, the people of Luke 13, do you not understand you are a sinner and I've come to save you from your sin? Would you repent? Right. Would you turn? Um, and again, this seems like a, a harsh message, a hard thing to hear. Um, but I think it really does make sense when you put it in the context that we understand why Jesus is speaking um, in this kind of way, and hopefully the parable makes some sense there. How long have we been going? Uh, for a little while. I, I have not been keeping track this time. Isn't that terrible? I want to look at... six minutes. All right, let me look really quickly at uh, verses 18 through 20, another parable here, and maybe we can... Uh, this can help us out. We'll see another example of this. In verse 18, he said, Therefore, what is the kingdom of God like? And to what shall I compare it? It is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds of the air made nests in its branches. And again he said, To what shall I compare the kingdom of God? It is like hev- it is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour until it was all leavened. The, uh, the the teaching here again we want to we want to throw it alongside of, of the other teaching uh, that we have seen um, so w- when we read through the context of, of Luke chapter 13 we see a, a couple of things surrounding this parable uh, in verse number 10 uh, the Jesus Jesus healing uh, with healing a woman uh, there on the Sabbath day the healing of this woman promoting that the, the kingdom of God is coming about, even something if something miraculous was done um, on, on the Sabbath day there, and the people are really upset um, that he heals on the Sabbath. And then Jesus tells this parable. What's the kingdom of God like? It's like a, it's like a grain of mustard seed that, that grew uh, until it was is so big that the birds of the air made, made a nest in its branches. What's the kingdom of God like? It's like leaven that you put into a flower and all these things, all these things are leaven. What do those two things have in common? 
well, it's not an overnight instantaneous kind of growth. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a slow growth. It's an intentional, uh, intentional kind of growth. So we see here, um, Jesus is, is teaching in such a way that he's, he's saying, don't look for the kingdom of God to just explode onto the scene. It's going to be a a slow growth. The church, you know, the church in Jerusalem surely um, grew very quickly. 3,000 people saved on the first day, but the kingdom of God, the growth of the church, I often find that when something grows very quickly, it is typically not something that has sustainable growth. I mean, even I'm looking at buying trees for, uh, for my from my house, uh, just to give some kind of, uh, block off my, uh, property from my neighbors. And I've been looking at buying these kinds of trees and, you know, you can buy trees that grow really slow or you can buy trees that grow really fast. And I found, you know, these certain kinds of trees and they grow really fast, but they say, but these trees, they will get knocked down by like hurricane force winds. Just be certain you're going to be cutting up trees. Well, is that the kind of tree that you want to plant? You know, uh, that that's, that's the kind of, that's the kind of question here. What's the kingdom of God? Like it's like a slow growing tree. Um, and when it grows, it grows in such a way that it is substantial here. It says, um, that the birds of the air make nests in its branches, right? It's this, it's this, it becomes this home uh, for these for these people, you know, for these for these birds in this particular context. It becomes a home for them where they uh, they they build and, and construct inside of this uh, this thing that was nothing at one point it was a small mustard seed has become something great. Uh, so too, like a, like leaven in three measures of flour. Um, it, you leave that overnight, and there comes a point where all of the bread is leavened. You know, it's it's soaked all the way through. That's what the kingdom of God is like. So we we might read this and come to all kinds of you know all kinds of crazy uh, explanations about it, trying to make sense of it. But I think the parables are a little bit simpler than that, um, and we need not look for uh, fanciful explanations. In the earliest church, um, you know the. Uh, there were two. There were two kind of ways of reading the scripture, and one of the ways was one of the ways was reading it allegorically. And so every everything or every person represented like had a correspondence to a thing or a person in history. Hmm. And I and I appreciate if you read the early church fathers, I appreciate the intention of so much of what they did because they tried to interpret scripture Christologically and and make make sense of what Jesus uh, was saying. But I think if we interpret the these parables. Uh, in terms of their historical grammatical context, what the what the author Luke composed and compiled for us, I think it makes more sense to understand them in this kind of way. Uh, surround what is the teaching surrounding the parable? What does it say? How does Jesus illustrate his point? That gives us, I think, more more handles uh, to be able to grasp what the message of these texts actually is. Yeah. You did a really good job explaining that. It's like this is what you do for a living. <laughs> <laughs> no, man. I this really, is what I do for fun. Dude. For fun. Yeah, okay, yeah, well, yeah. hey, that's good because so, you're really good at well, this. I'm, I'm being honest. Uh, I appreciate you sitting down and just kind of going through this because I can read this entire chapter and and not get nearly as much of what you just got out of two verses. So I appreciate you sitting down and going through this with us. Well, I appreciate you taking the time to record and produce and mix and master and uh make me sound good so <laughs> make me sound smart so yeah. well is there anything else you'd like to to enlighten us on before we go today yeah uh, just that uh time is short 
Eternity is long, and Jesus is the Lord. And you get those things in order, you got a lot of things figured out. Yeah. If you don't get that figured out, you got a lot of problems. That's true. That's very true. Well, I appreciate you sitting down with us today, and I look forward to the next time we come together. Uh, and we'll see you next time right here on the Creekside Podcast. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to this podcast today. I know there's a ton of things you could have spent your time listening to, but James and I are grateful that you spent some time hanging out with us. If you'd like to learn more about Creekside Fellowship, you can go to our website at creeksidefellowshiptn.com. Uh, You can find our contact info there. If you've uh, enjoyed listening to the podcast, you can rate and review and subscribe and all that fun stuff. And if you have any questions for us, you can email us at info at creeksidefellowshiptn.org. That's all on our website. You can also connect with us on social media. Thanks so much for taking the time to listen today. Hope you'll tune in next time.